<laughs> yeah, it's time for another job. Well, pulling a little caper here. Hello, Mom. How are you? Yeah. I just feel in the uh, caper mood here tonight. Hello, Tess. One, two. The caper is a small vegetable, actually, uh, that uh, is used in uh, some esoteric salads. I don't... Uh, does, does anyone out there know, actually, what a caper is from? No, I'm asking you, Miss Brown. You're our official... Uh, you do not know. Well, they come in little jars, I know, and they're always being pulled by guys like James Bond. Oh, I'm a little worried here tonight, actually. I'm a little concerned here. I just, uh, I'm sitting there getting my shoes shined. I don't, I get my shoes shined uh, in the spring, and I get them shined in the, before the winter season sets in. There's this place here in town where they shine your shoes with whale grease. And, uh, yes, and as you know, whales don't sink. And uh, they're very good against the water and all that stuff. And uh, so... I, uh, you know, this is my whale grease time, so if, I, if I'm a little gamey tonight, Herb, it's because the whale grease on the shoe is there. And by the way, speaking of whale grease, is it my, am I, am I, uh, am I, <laughs> I'm sorry, Herb. <laughs> well, let's, let's cool them off a bit, Herb. Let's give them a little of this. <laughs> all right, gang, all together now, let's go tiptoeing into the living room there. And, uh, Clarence, will you please put that lampshade over there, the one with the fringe on it? Would you please put that on your head? And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, Ethel? Ethel, now, you lie down there on the couch, see? And here's a lizard skin fan we're going to give you. And, uh, now, uh, tell you what you do, Clarence. You get down on your knee and get out your ukulele. That's right. And pretend you're F. Scott Fitzgerald serenading Zelda. Uh, there you go. And Ethel, what you do is, is look through heavy-lidded eyes of the Sheik of Araby. Yeah. Oh, that uh, belongs to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, all right, together now at night when you're asleep. <laughs> Into your tent I'll creep. All the stars above will shine. That's light my way. That bring it up, please. Oh, the stars above will shine. Oh, there's something about that. I just can't resist it. Oh, my God, you've got me right where it hurts. What are we doing? This we're grown up people. What is this? Listen to this vamp. Oh, here we go. This, by the way, was recorded in a canal in Venice. Oh, listen to that fancy change. 
your mascara's running here. <laughs> yeah, that's real good. Gee, that was terrific. That's uh, that's one of the tunes that's currently being featured on the John Gambling. Hello, yes. I had the nerve to complain about the interstate is coming through my outhouse blues, as performed by Delbert Bumpus and the three Kentucky clods. Well, no, I'm, I'm uh, that was kind of good. I like to clear the atmosphere like that because I'm a little worried here tonight, and uh, it's just because I'm, you know, I'm sitting there and the guy's got the whale grease on my shoes and he's working away with the rag and and uh, I'm, you know, I I I don't know what to do when you when your shoes are getting shined. What do you do? Do you look at the top of the guy's head? Or a, it's a kind of embarrassing situation. That he was one of these guys who had very a very colorful diet, obviously. He was a very quiet, colorless man, but my God, what a diet he had. Because uh, every couple of minutes he'd go, <clears throat> like that. And I would get a blast of uh, last week's uh, pepperoni. And, uh... <laughs> now, don't, don't look at me and say, this is a fish of Yeah, well, I agree with you, baby. I, I don't know what to say about that. Couldn't agree with you more, but you see, I'm sitting there, and the guy is uh, putting the whale grease on my shoe. Incidentally, I'd like to ask a question. May I please ask a question? Uh, this is a, for personal, uh, just a personal research question. It, uh, it's been bothering me. Uh, do you ever have the feeling that, that half the stuff you remember uh, just didn't exist at all, that you sort of made it up, or, or is it some nutty weight? You mean you don't have that problem ever, Herb? You mean you... You really believe that everything you remember actually happened? Uh, yeah, well, you see, that's because you're an engineer. Engineers tend to be very concrete in their thinking. Yes, they do. I don't mean they have concrete heads. I mean they're concrete in their thinking. They, they uh, are fact-oriented. And so the average engineer uh, walks around. I've seen engineers with great-looking suits. You know, they'll, they'll, Somebody will steer them into a place where they can get a good suit, which is quite rare for an engineer because... Generally, they look like they're wearing sackcloth and ashes. And, uh, yeah, that's true. And uh, the average engineer is just like that. I'm not putting them down. They have bigger things in their mind, you know, like logarithms and all that stuff. You know, important stuff. So, anyway, uh, what was I going to say? <laughs> no, I'm just uh, What I sh should have said is the average engineer, the great-looking suit, and what does he wear? He wears one of these little six-inch slide rules sticking out of his pocket, which destroys the entire... Uh, it just it destroys the whole mystique. And I guess he's proud of the fact that he can work a slide rule. I mean, you know, can you imagine the average uh, doctor walking around and he's got this elegant suit and sticking out of the pocket of his suit, he's got this little stethoscope. He wants everybody to know he's a doctor. See? <laughs> and uh, I, I'm sure that uh, you can carry that to, you know, pretty ridiculous extremes. You know, if, if you work in a garage, you can walk around and you have a couple little alamite fittings little grease gun sticking out. You know, you never know when you might have to grease somebody. never know. So uh, these these things, you pick it up as you go. And and I'm sitting in this place, and I, I got to wondering, see, the guy's putting the whale grease on my shoes. It's, I'm getting ready for the winter. See, I'm battening down. And, uh, oh, yeah, I prepare very strongly for winter. I've, I've been all caulked for this winter. Yeah. I, I tend to leak wind. You know, wind comes into my ears and all that stuff, so I get caulked uh, early in the winter about this time mid-november i get to get all the seams and i get i get sprayed with a water waterproof weatherproof coating this place in town where you have that done and uh I'm, I'm getting ready see i'm battening down i've got the whale stuff on my shoes good for you know whale grease and whale oil 
is uh, impervious to most uh, to most uh, types of uh, of uh, rain and sleet and stuff that comes down here in New York. Although they do use a certain kind of stuff on certain of the roads around here that can just melt the bottom of your well, oh capers, capers. Uh, we got a call from Wayne out in Bloomfield. He runs that restaurant out there, great place there. And uh, they, they, they're the only restaurant in, the, in Jersey that has beaver tail soup. And Wayne called, and he knows about it because they put capers in it. Wayne called from Bloomfield, and he said, Capers are the buds of flowers. That is sweet. I, I like that. That's poetic. The buds, he doesn't say what kind of flowers. And it could be, you know, the, the skunkweed has a very pretty flower, Wayne. But it's the buds of flowers, and it's so nice. They use that, as he said, they use that in the beaver tail soup that he makes, and it's kind of good. Let's salute him with a little of that quiet music there, please. And so tonight, we would like to salute all of those who tonight feel that they have an overpowering, deep river of beauty that flows to their soul. Only the resident skunks don't realize it. Yes, tonight, we wish to salute all of you out there who are like, who are like the simple caper, an unbudded bud, an unflowered flower in the great rush of late 20th century life, hurrying ever onward towards that eternal late-night show of all existence. Please bring it up there. Tonight's musical direction is under Skitch Henderson's heavy hand. Bring it up. Yes, tonight we love, my dear. Tonight we love as the wind blows to the place where the screen is routed out in the bathroom. Tonight we love. Tonight we love as the cockroaches play under the sink. You can hear them now, one stealing the mop. And you're going to need that for tomorrow morning when Uncle Fred comes in late and throws up all over the kitchen floor. Yes, tonight. Tonight we love. Tonight. tonight. Oh, excuse me. Excuse me. Sorry. It's so early in the week yet, you wouldn't think it would be happening this way. Sorry. Sorry, Wayne. No, this is uh, W.O.R. New York, <laughs> George, as if you could guess otherwise. W.R. New York, and uh, like uh, all of our compatriots, uh, we got a little surprise for you. Stand up now, stand up, take it like a man. Here it comes. There's a promise for America. For America, we're doing this. Just out of the goodness of our hearts. It's a promise to all of you. Just for you. Chrysler Plymouth. Chrysler Plymouth. Chrysler Plymouth. Yeah. They're coming through, gang. You can count on them. The kind of dealers that you look for wants to do much more. Yeah, he's a cuddly little guy. That dealer. He thinks you're number one. Like a friend that you can trust. A friend. Like a friend. He's the only friend you got. The kind of dealer that America wants today. This is the man we've been waiting for. Boy, one of today, today. Boom, boom, boom. Come on, get them tambourines going. Chrysler Plymouth. Boom, boom, boom. Coming through for you. There's never been a better time to buy. See America's number one Chrysler Plymouth dealers. Your Chrysler Plymouth dealers of New York. New Jersey and Fairfield County. Yeah, hey, listen, I'm. That was kind of nice. Why not? Uh, we got a call here. Why not salute mean people once in a while? That's a very good idea. Very good idea. Ben Davidson, mean Ben Davidson. Yeah. When asked the other day, mean Ben Davidson says, "What do you like about playing football?" He said, "Like to hear them bones crunch." That's all he said. Did you hear that? Yeah. Mean Ben Davidson was asked the other day, what do you like about football? 
His answer was, I'd like to hear them bones crunch. Well, now, other mean people, Dick Butkus. Dick Butkus, when he was asked here a couple of weeks ago what he'd like for his birthday, it's hard to believe that guys like Dick Butkus have birthdays. You'd think they have eruption days. He erupted. But uh, never... That <laughs> wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Dick Butkus, the ace linebacker and rib, rib snapper of the Chicago Bears. When Dick Butkus was asked what he wanted for his birthday, did you hear what he wanted? I want a sledgehammer. That's all. He wants his own sledgehammer. Yeah, you know, he's been borrowing one, you know, for a long time. Kind of nice that he wants something like that. I want a sledgehammer. Yeah, well, well, another mean guy is Merle Haggard. You know who Merle Haggard is, don't you? Oh, yeah. Merle Haggard, uh, the other day, asked, you know, I, it's funny, these, these little things, we're saluting these wonderful people. And Merle Haggard, who happens to be one ding-dong of a singer, really, and uh, Haggard, when asked uh, by his agent if there was anything that he could do for him, Haggard said, you get off my back. Well, that's the quote of the week from Merle Haggard. And his agent, by the way, stood in the corner and just cried for three or four hours. Very sensitive people. And I'll tell you, uh, there's nothing like an agent for a clodhopper singer. I'll tell you, there's nothing like one. I, I've spent a lot of time with those agents, and I'll tell you, they, you know, first of all, they have to chain them up at night. You know that. That, that these, these singers, you don't just let them go out and sing. You know, that, not at all. And when Merle was asked by his agent what he could do for him, his simple retort, which I think is to be taken only as one of the clean statements of philosophy of our time, Merle Haggard said, you get off my back. Thank you, Merle. And I think that's the way to handle an agent, especially the one you got. And uh, we would also like to uh, salute Fred Bolitnikoff. Fred Bolitnikoff. And uh, Bolitnikoff, you know, plays in every third or fourth. Uh, actually, he plays in every second ball game that's on television. Fred Bolitnikoff is always snagging a pass in the end zone after kicking somebody's teeth in around the 20-yard line to get in the end zone. So uh, Fred Bolitnikoff, the other day, did you hear about Fred Bolitnikoff? When he was asked the other day what uh, he would like most, he simply said, I want a new set of teeth. Uh, so Fred Bolitnikoff, of course, you know, being a pro football player, he hasn't had teeth for a long time. And uh, so we would like to salute these mean people. Tonight, Fred Bolitnikoff, Mean Bed Davidson, and uh, Merle Haggard, who's as who's as nervous as a as a small hog on a on a on a on a rug. Yeah, here we just got another one here. Oh yes, that's right, Bobby Fisher. Bob, by the way, are you aware that that one of the very earliest listeners, for those of you who don't know anything about Bobby, the chess player, used to come up here. You know, Bobby Fisher was one of the very first listeners we had. You know, Bobby, the great chess genius? Really. And uh, he gave me a chess set one time. And uh, Bobby's a strange guy, and uh, he really is. I remember one night we were over in Grant's, over here on 42nd Street. Can you imagine Bobby Fisher, world's greatest chess player? And we're over in Grant's. You know what Grant's is over here. We're eating a hot dog, see? And uh, Bobby, Bobby just sitting there. He's looking around, see? And uh, I'm sitting there eating my hot dog, and Bobby Fisher, the great chess player, is eating his hot dog. And uh, finally he says, uh, there's a lot of funny people in the world, aren't there? I said, yes, Bobby, there certainly are. And we didn't say anything else for the next 20 minutes. We just ate, ate more piccolo and thought about that. 
And Bobby Fischer, when asked at the age of 14 why he liked chess, I think he stated it well for all of us. Did you hear what Bobby said at the age of 14? Why he liked chess? He said, and we quote, I like to see him squirm. That's Bobby. To the point, honest. Doesn't win many friends, but he certainly wins chess games. Oh, you better believe it. So tonight, we are saluting Fred Blitnikoff, Mean Ben Davidson, Merle Haggard, Dick Butkus, and Bobby Fisher, some of the mean people. Yeah. And through a man's soul, there flows a deep, turgid stream. Yeah, uh, hmm. yeah it's full of beer cans. There goes one past now. A deep, turgid stream. And tonight, we take this opportunity to salute that other side of man, as represented so well to us. Yes, by the really mean people. I think that ought to be inscribed on a stamp, you know, the Bobby Fisher Centennial. Underneath it, it says, I like to see him squirm. <laughs> and he does. He's gotten polite in the last couple of years, but that's the same old Bobby. I can see those that icy look in the eye of a guy that likes to take your liver out, wind it backwards and stick it back in you, and then see what happens when the juice starts coming out of your ears. Let me tell you a little story about Bobby Fisher. You know, he was just on the cover of, was it Time? I think it was Time. No, uh, Life. Yeah, Life. Funny thing, now you're bringing me back, back memories of Bobby Fisher. Uh, Bobby used to come around here to the radio station a lot, and he, he, we used to. Have, I, he's very, very good friends. I haven't heard him or heard from him in a long time, but at that time, he used to come around here many evenings, and they're very silent. He just stands in control, and then afterwards we would go out and have something to eat or something. And one afternoon he came over here, and uh, we went to. Uh, a restaurant right down the street, and we're having coffee or something, and, and he's with a grandmaster, another grandmaster, who, by the way, is quoted in uh, the current piece about Bobby. There was a big piece done on him. And uh, this is another kid from Brooklyn. See, Bobby's from Brooklyn. This this kid was from Brooklyn, too. And the kid, you know, he's a grandmaster. <laughs> you know, grandmaster chess. And so Bobby, Bobby... We're sitting there at the at the counter, and we're having our coffee. And you never think of chess people like this. They were having our coffee, and and uh, they bring along the cheese Danish, which Bobby's on his cheese Danish kick at that time. So uh, he thought that the cheese Danish was a brain food. So Bobby's eating cheese Danish, and and uh, he's sitting there. Yeah, he's kind of a little bit of a food fat, isn't the way, see? So he's having the cheese Danish, and I'm sitting next to this other guy who's a friend of his, who was a grandmaster chess player. Now, you know what is it, a grandmaster, any of you? That's right. That's right. That's heavyweight. And so these two guys are sitting there, and finally Bobby got up, and he had to make a phone call or something. So Bobby gets up, and he walks to the back of the restaurant. And now this grandmaster turns to me, and he just looks me in the eye, and he says, He is mean. <laughs> I said, What do you mean? Oh. Uh, he's mean. I said, well, what do you mean? Bobby's a great guy. Oh, yeah, he says he's a great guy. Said, but don't ever play chess with him. And I said, well, I don't intend to play chess with Mr. Fisher. I mean, I'm not going to go out and play around round of golf with Arnold Palmer, you know, unless I get a 250 handicap at least. And so uh, 
Bobby comes back to the table. Now, remember, this was a grandmaster. He says, wow, fantastic. He's a true genius. He says, he, he's, I don't think he was born. I think he came from another planet. So uh, about ten minutes later, Bobby, we get back up to the station. I don't know why I'm telling you this. This is a personal reminiscence, which has very little to do with anything, but a personal reminiscence. So we get up to the station, seeing Bobby says, I have a present for you, to me, see. And I said, the what? What do you got? He said, well, I just come back from Argentina, where I played these matches down there. And I said, yeah. He said, well, I brought you a chess set. And I said, you did? And he had one of these little pocket chess sets. He got it in Argentina. You've seen them? Little pocket ones. And he gives it to me. And I said, gee, that's great, Bobby. I mean, you know, that's like getting an inscribed bat from Mickey Mandel, you know. And, you know. He said, that's great. I, I said, gee, that's nice, Bobby. And he said, yeah, yeah. I thought you'd like it. I said, well, I do. I already do. There's a pregnant pause. He's very incommunicative in his pregnant pause. He says, well, I, I thought you'd like it. I said, yeah, yeah, it's great, Bobby. It really is. Terrific chess set. He said, well, uh, let's play. I said, let's play? I thought you thought you were giving me a chess set. He said, well, you don't do nothing with a chess set. You play with it. So let's play. I said, let's play. Well, uh, you know, I didn't... How, how do you break it to him that, that I always thought the chess was kind of a sick checkers? I mean, I, I never played chess in my life, see, and it's kind of hard to tell that to somebody who's, a, you know, an international grandmaster and, you know, he's on his way to becoming probably the greatest chess player, quite probably the greatest chess player in, uh, well, quite possibly uh, this century, really. Probably even longer than that. So uh, I said, uh, well, all right, uh, let's play. Well, do you know that I played, did, did I tell you that I played one night? You know where I played? Right over there in Studio 4. So Bobby and I go into the studio, and I said, uh, well, all right, uh, let's, uh, let's toss to see whose move is first. <laughs> so Bobby, Bobby says, well, go ahead. He said, I'll, I'll concede you the first move. And then I had a break to him. I says, Bobby, I, I don't know how to play chess. He says, well, I, I don't blame you. It's a pretty dull game, he said, unless you're really good at it. I said, well, yeah, that's one way of looking at it. Well, Bobby, uh, how, do you, how do you play chess? He said, well, I'll tell you. He said, now, see, this little one here with the round thing on the top, that's called a pawn. I said, all pawns. Yeah, well, I've been a pawn of fate for years. I can tell that. Yeah, I know what a pawn is. He said, yeah, that's a pawn. And I said, what's that one there with the knobs and the thing in there? He said, oh, that, that's a castle. That's a castle. Oh, hmm. I said, well, that one over there, then, the thing with a crown on the top, that's a, a king, right? He said, that's correct. That's correct, you're getting it. I said, well, how about this one over here? He said, that's the bishop. So we sat there, and he said, all right, now I'll tell you how to play. Well... I can only say that the next hour and a half was a blur. And the Bobby says, now here, see, this is obvious. You can obviously see what this is going to happen here, right? I said, well, yeah, I certainly can, yes. Yes, he says, well, that, that is a, that is a, uh, that's what we call a, a, a modified uh, Indian defense. I said, oh, an Indian defense, yes, yeah, very interesting. I've read about that. Uh, wasn't it the, the uh, siege of Jodhpur? He said, no, no, no. Well, actually, there's a relationship to that. Yes. He said, uh, historically, there is. He said, but I don't want to go into that. That's a little early for you to start with that yet. 
He said, say, I'm hungry. By the way, he was always hungry in those days. He said, I'm hungry. I said, okay, let's go down and get a hot dog. We'll go down to the chock full of nuts. What do you say? And get a brownie. He said, yeah, that's a great idea. So I escaped. We got in the, we got in the, uh, <laughs> we got in the elevator, went down at a brownie. And it's just, it's, you know, it's kind of discouraging to take golf lessons from Jack Nicholas and take chess lessons from Bobby Fischer. It's a romantic idea, but it just doesn't work like in the movies, you know. It's a, like you, you walk in saying, you see this guy playing the piano. Somebody says, who's that? He says, well, that's Peter, you know, he's from Russia. He writes that stuff. That's a tune he wrote. Yeah, why don't you go and ask him? Yeah, he'd, pro- he'd probably tell you how to play chopsticks on the piano. And you walk up and... Here's this guy, you know, that's got candles burning and he's got one of these fluffy shirts. You know, the kind that, uh, that Cornell Wilde always wears in those movies, right? And he's playing the piano and his hair is flying. And I say, oh, Pete, hey, uh, uh, Mr. Uh, Tchaikovsky. Uh, I'm just, uh, I was just talking to, uh, what's his name, Borodine out there. And he said that uh, you'd give me a couple of lessons on the piano. You mind? Could you please stop playing for a minute? I'd like to talk to you. I... Like to say, uh, <laughs> gee, you play pretty good, you know. You mean you wrote that? Hey, that's not bad. It's catchy. It's very commercial, too, you know. I like it. Listen, uh, would you believe it? We got birds tonight. Uh, yeah, hey, listen, we've been getting calls all day long about our little birds. And if you didn't hear this, the plot, I won't tell you any more about it, except that, that uh, this is the first commercial I think I've ever had in my life for a bird, a little flying bird. And it's, it really is. It's the, it's the darndest thing I've ever seen as far as a toy is concerned. And it's not really a toy. It's a little flying machine. It's a bird. It flaps its wings and flies. That's all I can say. And it's inspired by the drawings of Leonardo da Vinci, of an ornithopter, or a flying machine. It's invented by a Frenchman, Guide de Roimbeck. And this is a wild little thing. For three ninety-five. you're going to see something that you wouldn't believe. It actually flies by flapping its wings. <laughs> it's 16 inches in wingspan. It's a, it's a beautiful orange, yellow, and brown feathers it's petty it looks exactly like a bird it's not a little it's not a model airplane don't think for any minute of that it's an actual bird that flaps its wings and takes off and flies around makes your aunt faint and all that and uh it comes with uh it's easy just it's all together you just snap the wings into the sockets and turn them upside down turn the lever turn the thing on and away she goes friend you hold them and head them into the wind and she goes off you be careful though you take them in certain places you'd like to be Shot by somebody out there doing a wide, wide world of sports. You know, next thing you know, it'll be winged by Robert Stack, you know, with Chris Schenkel or somebody on hand. But the, it's a great little bird, and if you'd like to try one of these birds, you want to amaze and mystify your friends. The Tim, he's called, the flying bird, and it's made in France, comes packed in a box with instructions. And you just snap them together. 
You also receive a special tool with instructions for replacing the extra set of rubber bands, and it is guaranteed to fly. Underline, 15 ways. So if you'd like to try one of these dinghies, they're 398, and believe me, for 398, it's a, it's a wild little creature. Send uh, a check or a money order to Flying Birds. It's simple, Flying Birds, Department S. Post, post Office Box 199, as in the year, P.O. Box 1909, Grand Central Station, New York, New York. That's all there is to it. 398 for every little bird. It's a wild thing. Hey, you know, uh, though, uh, speaking of uh, mean people, I, sh- I don't know how I got on the subject of Bob. He's not mean. He's just a, he's just a, you know, he's a, he's what he is. He's a totally dedicated, completely, uh, he's a genius. He really is. He has to be a genius in chess. That's, And I am not equipped to talk about it, except that one day, I don't know why I got on the subject of Bobby Fisher, but I might as well, because he is an old friend. And I'm not name-dropping here. He really is, and... And uh, Bobby, even at the age of about 14 or 15, was about six feet tall, you know, tall, skinny guy. And one night, uh, we went up to a hotel here in New York where they were having uh, a big chess tournament. And this was when when Bobby was in his really uh, flamboyant period. Not flamboyant so much as as his ferocious period. Apparently, he has uh, somewhat... uh, yeah, he's mellowed. It's not quite mellowed. Let's put it this way. He's gotten uh, steelier. Yes, from what I can read about Bobby. And and he always, he always, he's a completely outspoken, completely, uh, uh, and he's very honest. And when he says, I can beat anybody, he's not bragging. He can, you know. <laughs> That's the way. If he's if he's on, on that night, it's not even so much being on chess. If he's, he's extremely temperamental. If he's, if he's, uh, decides to murder a guy, he will just make, uh, just terrible. It is. It's really terrible. Because that night, we went up to this place, and I forget where it was. It was a big national chess grandmasters tournament that was over, held in a hotel here. And on the way over there, Bobby told me about the guy he was going to play. And apparently, Bobby did not like this guy at all. Uh, something that this guy had said, or some attitude he had, absolutely put Bobby off. Which is really silly to do. In other words, you—if you're going to play Bobby Fisher, you do not get him mad before the ball game. You simply don't. It's like—it's—it's it's like you know—it's like you're standing lining up, you know, for the opening kickoff, and you look down at, uh, say, at uh, at uh, Roosevelt Greer, and you holler, "Hey, you panty waist! Ha! I'll let you shoot up, huh?" Well. That is an unwise move. You just—it's just not a very good move, unless you're twelve, maybe fifteen feet high yourself, and you're made out of stainless steel. In which case, you may be able to get away with, it, but no guarantee. But uh, anyway, Bobby was mad. He was mad. We went down. We walked to this hotel. Did I ever tell you this story? And this guy was a famous grandmaster. He was playing that night. I thought, you know, he should be nervous. He's about a, at that time, he's about seventeen-year-old kid. See, so I figured, gee, you know. You know, it's like, uh, it's like you, uh, you're going in tonight, you're going to take on Jack Nicklaus, right? And, uh, you're, you know, you're 16 years old, you're the coming, uh, golf player. You'd be a little concerned. Well, no. We walked all the way uptown. This was up, up, up around, uh, Central Park South, wherever this thing was being held. Around Lincoln Center someplace. I forget the exact place. And we walked up there, and all the while, Bobby started laughing. I said, well, what are you going to do about it? He said, oh, don't worry about it. 
Don't worry. And I said, oh, boy. I said, well, what about this guy? Oh, <laughs> he's stupid. I said, what do you, that's the way Bobby talks. I said, what do you mean stupid? He's a grandmaster famous. <laughs> Just I'd heard his name for years, you know. He said, hey, stupid. Just the way Bobby talks. Stupid. You know who he reminded me of? Holden Caulfield. He is a, the, almost the living embodiment of Holden Caulfield. If you've ever read Catcher in the Rye, this is very much like Bobby Fischer. Except that the one thing that, that was different from Holden Caulfield and Bobby Fischer, obviously, is that Holden was sort of impotent. He really had nothing going for him except that he was a phony spotter, you know, that kind of stuff. He was always talking about how phony the world was. Well, Bobby never does that. Bobby, Bobby is extremely outspoken, and he has that kind of naivete, you might say, of the Holden Caulfields. But at the same time, he has incredible talent. I'm really incredible, because I'll tell you what happened that night. He says, he's stupid. Stupid. I said, what do you mean, stupid, Bob? Why stupid? I said, well, what, what did he do? I, he's stupid. I said, well, why is he stupid? He says stupid things. I said, well, what exactly stupid things did he say about me? He, he, he's stupid. He's he, he, just stupid. So I said, oh, boy. And I said, well, we'll see. So we get to the hotel. We go up in the elevator. Of course, Bobby's a cause celeb. You know, everybody there is kind of like a prodigy and so on. Saying, but nobody really thought he was real. <laughs> Not real, real. So Bobby's—he he looks a little like a—he's very, very uh, sober. He, he wears black suits and stuff. He's kind of uh, unsmiling. Yet, yet he'll smile when he when he needs to. But he's very unsmiling, kind of sober kid, you know. So we go into the room there. Now, have you ever been in a major world? Ch- oh, listen, it, that's one of the most exciting things to ever attend. If you ever get a chance to attend any of the Grand Master tournaments, go. They're really something to see. If you want to see something you won't forget very quickly. Go to one of these. And, and Bobby invited me. I was invited by Bobby. He's coming along with me, see? So we go to this place, and, and here they've got all the tables are set out, and they have these boards up to the side where you can see what the various moves are these people are making, and there's a referee for each table, and, and very official, see? And uh, they have clocks, everything. And the, the gallery sits off to one side at that point, at least in this room. They sat off to one side. They were kind of roped off. And so uh, he, he said to, to, to the guy that was running this thing, I said, well, I sit, Bobby. And Bobby says, well, he says, uh, talk to some of the, he talked to one of the officials. And so I was a little embarrassed because, you know, I was going to go over and sit in the stands like everybody else. Bobby says, he's, he's a friend of mine. What do you mean? He's going to say, he's not going to sit over there. <laughs> but at this point, I'm getting a little embarrassed. I said, Bobby, look, I'll sit back here with the beast. Come on, you know. So, anyway, uh, it all boiled down that I'm over there with some group of people who are apparently national chess experts or observers or something from chess magazines. And, and so now I'm watching Bobby. So he sits down with this famous chess player. And remember, all the way over, Bobby kept saying things like, He's stupid. He's stupid. <laughs> I could see what he meant. The guy had fantastically pompous airs. The guy that he was playing was was a very pompous type. And uh, he came in, you know, and he had all his uh, seconds around, and they're, they're kind of fanning him, and, and there are the, it, it, uh, big discussions and stuff, and he sits down opposite Bobby Fisher at the board. 
And Bobby sits down. And here's what he did, Herb. Bobby. Bobby's tall, see. He just sits like this. With his arm crossed like this in front of him. Not moving a muscle. He's got this very thin face. And Bobby, when Bobby is playing, has the coldest eyes I have ever seen this side of a puff adder. He just, he's staring right at the guy. Have you ever seen the, the uh, scenes of the early Muhammad Ali? Or the, you remember when he used to psych guys out by glaring at him? He just sits there like this. And the bell sounds, and the clock starts to go, and Bobby is making the first move. And he just goes, takes his piece, and he goes... He lays him down like that, makes his move. And the guy he's playing is beginning to sweat, I notice, around his nose. And he stares at the board, and Bobby just keeps staring at him. Just staring. No expression. Well, I was looking, and I didn't know it at the time. I was watching one of the great historical chess massacres that I read about the next day in the Times. I didn't know enough about it. But apparently, Bobby, and I'm not even going to try to tell you about chess because I know nothing about it, but Bobby took this grandmaster, a famous chess player, one of the greatest chess players at the time in America, he took him apart bone by bone and then blew the marrow out into the electric fan on the wall and then reassembled him and then eviscerated him again and then <laughs> proceeded to make an incredible mincemeat scene out of this guy. And all the while, this great chess master was getting more and more flustered. You could see his face. Under his cheekbones, you could see red appearing. It's just like watching a fighter play with another guy. Is the red, and he gets up and he walks around, see, to, 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 to think, apparently. He had a little time to think, see, and he's walking around, and you can see his cheeks are flushed. And Bobby just sat without moving a muscle, with those cold, icy eyes. And then the man sat down again, and you know, they're timed. You can't, you can't fake it in a chess, a grand chess master tournament. Uh, there's a certain time limit. So he sat down again, and I could see terror in his eyes, literally terror in his eyes, that he could see something coming, and he couldn't figure out what it was. He just could sniff an approaching army. <laughs> and, and then suddenly, it's all over in a second. All, Bobby made a move, and the man sat there for a second, and then he stood up, and then a little light went up, and that meant that this man had just conceded the first game. The towel had been thrown in. I couldn't tell what was going on, see. Bobby gets up, and he never loosens his tie. He's always very impeccable. He gets up, and he walks over to me. He says, he's stupid. I said, Bobby, I mean, you don't say that about a fallen opponent. He said, well, he is. He's stupid. He says, wait till I get him on the next match. I said, okay, Bobby. They took a little recess. They sat down, and the next match lasted two minutes and 12 seconds. This time, he didn't even bother to toy with him. He just brought up the heavy artillery and... Wow! 
And this, this great grandmaster who had been destroyed by Bobby Fisher got up with his friends and his suit looked kind of rumpled. And you could see the sweat on the back of his neck. And of course, chess people are very unemotional. They never... They really aren't. <laughs> but it's all muted. I had seen one of the great massacres of all time. And the next day, the New York Times had a story on it. It would, it would roughly like if uh, the uh, roughly like if the New York Jets, with three substitute quarterbacks, tomorrow morning destroyed the Baltimore the Baltimore Colts, 112 to nothing. And they destroyed him so much that the Colts never even got the ball once in the game, not even on the kickoffs. And on the way back, we were walking back, and I said, Bobby, boy, you really, you really beat him. He's way stupid. That's all Bobby kept saying. He's stupid. As if he should know that uh, you know, it should be playing. So I just want to let you know, friends, that we ought to have to include Bobby Fisher, who happens to be a friend of mine, in the crowd of the mean people. Big, mean Ben Davidson, Dick Butkus, Fred Bolitnikoff, Merle Haggard, all the mean people. They're not just mean, let's put it this way, they're supernatural. They have no truck with us ordinary walking around types. It's stupid, stupid. <laughs> 